Hello and welcome to another of Political Yeti's Politics Podcast. I'm James Miller and this week I am joined by uh, Ian Blackford, MP for Ross, Sky and Le Carver, uh friend of the podcast, uh, pension spokesman, uh, right winger. Oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> no, let's not go over that again. Okay, let's, let's not let's not fall over that again. Uh, it's just me and Ian this week. Uh, we're supposed to be podcasting yesterday, but uh, my daughter wasn't well, so we had to reschedule. Uh, but she's fine now. Um, excitable Zebedee, Ian Blackford, as you are now known. That's what the speaker uh, called you, right? Well, the speaker did uh, make that comment yesterday, but right. you know, I think what was important is that we had two days of debate around the second reading of the bill to trigger Article 50. Um, and in the wind up, the minister refused to take any intervention. Now, that's unprecedented because the point that we've been trying to make over the course of the last couple of days is that we respect the result of the referendum. We understand that the UK wishes to come out of the EU. But equally, what we've asked Westminster to do is to recognise our position that Scotland voted to remain and that Nicola Sturgeon, I think, has shown tremendous leadership in coming forward with a compromise proposal backed by the Scottish Parliament to some extent. And as far as the Parliament mandated the Scottish Government to negotiate on the Parliament's behalf in order that we can support Scotland's position uh, with access to the single market. And the fact that the UK Government is pushing ahead with this vote to leave the EU but has not yet considered the paper from the Scottish Government, a considered paper that has set out the options. They have considered it, and then they've gone, yeah, put it in the bin. And they have said, oh, it's from the Scottish Government, let's just put it in the bin, basically. Well, that's that's not acceptable, because, of course, we as MPs are here to stand up for our constituents, to stand up for Scotland, and it's a perfectly reasonable position to say that we wish to remain in the single market and we're trying to seek a compromise with the UK that that position can be sustained. There's no reason why it shouldn't be, really, of course. Are you really trying to seek a compromise, or do you really want to hack off the UK government so you can have another independence referendum and win it? What we said in the manifesto for the Scottish Parliament elections is that if circumstances change, then yes. that, of course, could be a trigger for a, an independence referendum. What we're seeking to do is actually to build a consensus in Scotland. Um, we are very concerned about the prospects for the Scottish economy, for investment, for jobs, if we come out of the single market. There was the Fraser of Allender report that came out a few months ago that indicated there was a risk to 80,000 jobs. Um, so there are real concerns as to what would happen to us if we don't have access to the single market. We're seeking to do that within the context of remaining within the UK. If the UK government refuses to compromise and refuses to listen to our legitimate position and recognising that we have a mandate from the people of Scotland to argue that case, then of course we have to reflect on where we are. Um, if we do end up in a situation that there is to be a second referendum, it will be very much done on the basis that there is no alternative to that, that we have to seek to protect Scotland's position. And we'd certainly be arguing the case that we create Scotland as a destination within Europe, really to looking outwards to the rest of the world, but seeking to deliver sustainable economic growth and the social justice that we talked about in the last referendum. So oh, yeah, circumstances yeah. will dictate that. But it's very much up to the UK government as how they respond. They must respond in a positive manner to us. You said this in the um, debate the other night about being a destination within Europe. Yeah. What does that mean? I mean... Well, clearly Scotland one of the is a things, destination. You can get a plane to Scotland. But the destination. In what sense do you mean a destination in Europe? One of the things that's always driven me in politics, and the reason I I want to see powers return to the Scottish people, is because I want a more prosperous, dynamic Scottish economy. But it's powers for a purpose. It's about delivering on that social justice. And I absolutely believe that if we had the control of our economy in Scotland, if we did the right things, 
that we could ultimately deliver a higher sustainable economic growth rate. Um, but you, you do that by being a destination in Europe insofar as you encourage people to invest there. Uh, very much one where we want to use our excellence in academia, use our historic strengths in engineering and in uh, biotechnology and life sciences and food and drink and tourism and financial services and so on. But it's really to build on those strengths and to do that as part of the single market is very, very important. It's, it's, it's about how you deliver that, about how you create a better society in Scotland. Cutting yourself off from the single market in Europe is no way to do that. I don't, I don't really want to parrot Theresa May, but you know what she'd say to that? She would say, well, you want to leave the single market because you want to be independent and then you'll be outside the EU, which I appreciate is a bit crazy because well, you're going to be out of the EU if you stay in the UK. It's a bit of a nutty argument, but she still seems to be going for it. Well, but I mean, I think... her point does stand that whichever way you cut it, you're going outside the EU. Well, currently we're in the EU yes. and the UK wants to come out. There's an argument... The UK is coming out, right? UK is coming out. But there's an argument that we would therefore be the successor state to the UK. Now, of course, all yeah, that, that has been... That doesn't make all any sense all 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 no, Why does it? Because they are citizens or members of the EU. If part of the UK wishes to leave, that's a decision that they take. It should also be respected that we are currently within yeah. the EU. And there is no reason, and we you have can't be the successor state. Well, because we have, the UK is the UK. I mean, the UK is the part, state, and it's all. But we're part of the UK, and there are many European politicians that have said on the record that they respect Scotland's position in that. Now, of course, you oh, have yeah. to negotiate that. You have to take that through to its conclusion. We don't know exactly what the shape and form of that would be today, but we're absolutely determined to protect Scotland's position within the single market. And as a preference, we wish to do that as a member of the EU. That's the subject of negotiation, and that will happen over a, over a period of time. Let me say this to you. I mean, we see ourselves as continuing with that access to the single market. We understand that there's a compromise that's involved in that. We understand that there are benefits in terms of free movement of people. We want to grow the Scottish economy. We need migrants. The UK is taking a different view. It doesn't want that free movement of people. But I actually think the question is the other way around. We're in the single market today. We have all the benefits of that. What Theresa May is telling us is that she wants out of the single market, but she wants free trade with the rest of the EU. Now, that's a much bigger question. That's a much more fundamental question, because the how part of that what? is something which is not clear. And the whole point about the debate we've had over the last couple of days, we still haven't seen a white paper. We haven't got any of the details. Well, we might have done by the time this goes on. Well, we, 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 we we yeah, right? But the question is what's going to be in that white paper. But this roadmap about how on earth Theresa May and David Davis and everyone else is going to negotiate free trade with Europe when they're not prepared to compromise on things such as free movement of people is not clear. We're really talking about, you're really talking about a sheep coming over the cliff edge here. All right, but um, you have veered slightly from the whole issue of being a successor state. No, I Because, come on, right, if Scotland's going to be the successor state, what you're actually saying is you don't want independence for Scotland at all. You want independence from it for England. From no, the UK, no, that's that's in that Scotland that's, would Scotland would essentially take over the identity of the UK, and England or our UK would become a new state which would be off making deals with New Zealand and being rich on whatever New Zealand trade with cheap and wood or something. I like can that. just I can just imagine right, I can just imagine that's basically I can just, what you're saying. I here, can right? just imagine the prospects for customers and farmers like myself selling sheep to New Zealand. Well, that's what you're saying, right? Element, that Scotland would take over the identity of the UK. We're not talking about taking over the identity of the UK, but we are we are today members of the European Union. Collectively, the United Kingdom, the four states of the UK, the four nation states of the UK, England, Scotland, Ireland, Northern Ireland and Wales are members of the EU. Ah, but England, they're not like, England, the UK England, is England, the Wales, member Scotland, of the EU. Yes, not, but, but we have we have rights as citizens of the EU. Yes. And all that we're arguing is that that can then be 
that, that can then be formulated in a way that the Scottish government, whether that's through independence or otherwise, because there's no reason why we can't be done. I mean, let's take the situation with Ireland. We know that there's no one wants to see a hard border between Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland. And the UK, again, hasn't actually given the clarity in terms of how this is going to work. But, I mean, you're, you're going to have a situation in the island of Ireland where part of it is going to be part of the single market and part of it wouldn't be, and there's not going to be any hard border between those two territories. Mm. The situation that you can get to, that Scotland can, can somehow or other architect membership of the single market is not impossible. But there has to be a political will to, to at least address that. Now, and this is a very, very important point, because we're willing to do that within the context of the UK. Why doesn't Theresa May and her government negotiate on the basis that there's a clear determinant of the people of Scotland in order to sustain that membership of the single market? Why shouldn't she negotiate on that? She's had the paper now for a number of weeks and given nothing back. And frankly, it's a lack of respect that we have seen in this chamber over the course of the last two days, that we've been bouncing to this decision, that a vote has been taken, and we haven't had a considered response to what the Scottish Government has said to Westminster. That's frankly just not acceptable. All right, let's talk about this lack of respect in the chamber. Um, basically, the SNP didn't get to talk until about 11 o'clock at night, right? Yeah. That was interesting. Uh, there's a few people upset about that. But that's just the rules, right? That's just because you're the third party. I mean, there's some people trying to make some, some sort of uh, mischief around this, not right, capital right. out of it, depending on how you look at it. Well, people, but it's just, sort of, unfortunately, the way the rules fell, yeah? I haven't complained about that. I mean, I would make the point that I was here very late on Monday night in the pensions bill, and I was speaking at, I think, quarter to 12 on Tuesday night. Yeah. yeah, I understand how the place works. But I think it does demonstrate to the people of Scotland that it's very difficult under the rules of, of the House for Scotland's voice to be heard on the Oh, no, hang on. Well, well, let me, let me, they could let have voted Labour, and then they would have been able to speak well, up, and then the second well, party gets the voice. Let, let, yeah, let, let me finish the point. I mean, a lot of MPs have spoken over the course of the last two days. As it happened, five SNP MPs were on that last 20-minute slot, 20-25-minute yes. slot, uh, on, on the Tuesday evening when, when everybody's tired. And, of course, the time limits have come down. I had a speech, yeah. which I had to throw away yeah. um, and simply make a quick couple of points. So... You don't have the same opportunities that other MPs have had to, to express the opinion that you wanted to do about Scotland's position, uh, where we stand and all of this. But the, but the hard fact remains that eight hours into that debate, only two SNP MPs have spoken. Two Liberal MPs have spoken, and yet there's only eight Liberal MPs in this entire parliament. Right, why is that uh, well, Isn't it something, I thought it was to do with the fact that you're a third party. No, it's not to do with that. It's, it's a bit to more complex seniority. than that. It's, it, well, there's, there's an argument about you. seniority. Right. There's the argument about how, uh, how long you've been in the parliament. There's an argument about right. whether you're a privy councillor. There's also an argument about how often you've spoken in the chamber. Okay. Now, here's something which is important, because obviously our, our job is to make sure that we're, that we're acting as a, as a progressive opposition, and that's exactly what we're doing. And a lot of us are frontline spokespeople. So in my case, I spoke in that pensions debate yeah. on Monday. Yeah. Now, it means, therefore, when you come to a set-piece debate, yeah. um, because I've already spoken, then you end up being way down the batting order. So oh, a, lot okay. of, a lot of it is to do with that, as, as it is to do with other matters. But it does mean in these key issues, because we had it when we had the debate on Syria, we had it when we had the debate on Trident, we've now had it over the debate of the uh, triggering Article 50, it's very difficult for us to appear early in that debate okay. and get our points across. Unless you're Alex Hammond. Well, Alex because is a pretty Alec Alec is a pretty councillor, so Alex has, blah, 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 has, has so privileges gets, that come with that. Yeah. And as, as Angus Brendan McNeil would have, because he's a chair of the Select Committee. The Super Six are maybe at the fore of it as well. I guess, I don't know, but some of the rest of them are all new level political team and they've got a bit of ground to make up. I see. Okay, that makes much more sense. Um, the Speaker called you an excitable Zebedee because you kept trying to get up and down and intervene in something. 
Well, was, that, was that the EU debate you were being it was the, excitable? It was, I, 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 I would uh, certainly not concur with the view of an excitable debate. What I was trying to do was get the minister to respond to yes. a reasonable question. <clears throat> Um, and, and the minister quite simply refused to engage in that debate. That was uh, disrespectful to Scotland. But I think what caught my mind is the whole issue of, uh, and this is slightly wonky, I accept, but intervening, right? Yeah. Because you intervened on Jacob Rees-Mogg. Yep. Um, who is, you know, he's a thing. Um, and Michael Gove then followed him up, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Michael Gove's quite interested in Scotland these days, isn't he? He is, yeah. Um, oh, he's a Scot. Apparently, yes. Yeah. Um, but you know, how do you how do you decide who to intervene on? Do you look at somebody like the Mogadon and think, "Oh, he might let me in, so I'll intervene," or um, you know, do you do you decide to intervene on certain people? Well, I mean, you talked about the rules of this place, and the rules of this place encourage intervention because yeah. it's supposed to be a debate. And Jacob Rees-Mogg uh, was making a constitutional point. Yes. He was talking about the sovereignty of Parliament, a perfectly legitimate point that that he was making from his perspective. But what I wanted to point out that the constitutional position in Scotland is different uh, because of constitutional history and one where it's not par- par- uh, Parliament that's sovereign, it's the people that are sovereign. Yeah, and, although and I, and I he, went back he to had the, quite a good comeback on that, I thought. Well, the, the difficulty when you intervene is yeah, you that can't then come back. You, you can't then come back in. I mean, it is a matter where, okay, we're talking about a case from the 1950s, but a very clear case where uh, Lord Cooper gave his judgment in the case of McCormick versus the Crown, and the judgment was that parliamentary sovereignty is a purely English concept that has no counterpart in Scottish constitutional history. So it's very, very important, and it's particularly important in the in the context of referendum that people people have that constitutional right. So it was important because of that debate, and I know there probably was a fair chance that Jacob would have allowed that. But let me turn it around the other way. I mean, you've seen me debate in the in the Commons. I do lead for us on yeah. on pensions matters, and I'm always, I hope very gracious to other MPs that I will allow people to intervene on, on, on me. Yeah. I spend quite a bit of time allowing people to intervene on me because I believe that's the right thing to do. Because if you're if you're presenting an argument, you should be giving people the opportunity to question yeah, you sure. on the arguments that you're putting. So that respect should go both ways. And for a government minister not to extend that courtesy to an MP in such a crucial debate as we were having yesterday, um, I don't think really was a, a proper way to conduct but, business. But then does it go both ways in terms of you know not ministers? Like because you let people intervene on you, do they then let you intervene on them? Well, that's... No, I mean, it's up to each individual. And I I mean, clearly there is a difference where when you're speaking from the front bench and perhaps sure. for the benefit of your listeners, in a lot of debates, backbenchers will be told that they have five, six, seven, eight minutes yes. to speak or whatever it is. Um, you are encouraged to an extent to take interventions insofar as you will be given an extra minute for each of the first two interventions yeah. that you take. And obviously, if you've got something to say um, and you've got a limited amount of time, of, of course, there's a limit to how many interventions sure. that you can take. When you speak from the front bench, typically you're not constrained to such a degree, yeah. albeit you can't go over the score, but you've got longer to speak uh, when, when you're presenting a position. So it's much easier in that sense when you speak from the front bench to have that courtesy of allowing people to intervene on you. And I think it creates okay. a much better debate when that happens. Um, but then I, I, I suppose, yeah, what I'm thinking of is people like, obviously, Jacob Rees-Mogg is high profile for whatever reason. Um, you know, again, do you think, oh, I'll intervene on him because I might get a sensible reaction or I might not get a sensible reaction. For example, the other night, both you and uh, I think both, no, it was Roger Mullen suggested that he and Michael Gove had done a great service for the cause of Scottish independence with their dafts. 
English centric speeches. But do you, th you know, or do you, let's, let's face it, there's lots of nobodies on the Tory backbenches, for example. Do you think, well, I'm not going to bother intervening because that person's an idiot and they're not going to engage with me and they're not going to get any coverage anyway? Or, you know, or does it, do you sit beforehand and think, well, I might intervene on that and that, no, that no, person? No, no, or do you no, just sort no, of jump no, up no, as things no, arrive? No, you, you, you shouldn't do that because I think then it would actually be seen as false. Yeah. Um, I think it has to be very much within the context of what you're doing. And, okay, I mean, Jacob has intervened on me in the past, I've intervened on Jacob, but I think there is respect that when you're presenting an argument that you're engaging in, in, in that debate that I talked about and the, and the intervention that I had on him uh, was, was something which was pertinent to what he was saying. Yeah. If you're going to get up just for the sake of it to make a point, then, then that looks ludicrous. Mm. Um, it happens, though. Well, I don't doubt that. I hope I never do that. No, I'm not um, saying you, but I've seen it. But, 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 seen it the whole, the, yeah, well, indeed. But I mean, if you if you intervene in someone and it, it, it has no context to the subject that's been discussed or the particular aspect of the subject that's been discussed, then that looks bad. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think to have reasoned arguments, to have reasoned debate, um, to have a debate where there's lots of interventions, when there is coming and going across two sides of the chamber. Actually, I think in Leiden's approach, if it's done yeah. in a respect, and you must always do it in a respectful manner. Sure. Uh, and you know, love the morg anyway. There's, some, there's a weird thing going on between Jacob Rees-Mogg and the uh, SNP, isn't there? Well, I will admit, I've actually known Jacob for a very long period of time, because actually when we were both engaged in a, in a previous life, Jacob was actually a client of mine. Um, I, I don't, oh, here we go. Uh, See, this I is why you're a right-wing lizard man. I, am not, I, don't, oh. I, don't, I don't share any of Jacob's political views, but nonetheless, it doesn't mean I can't have a respectful debate with him, and I think that's the point. It's true of lots of people at the SNP. There is a thing there. But you know, this characterisation really characterization of me somehow being on the right is something I don't understand. I mean, I, won't, <laughs> I, won't, I, I mean, I should say to you that as a young man in the, in the Young Scottish Nationalist, when I wrote a first strategy paper, which defined us very much as a, as a socialist movement, I've always been on the left of the party, I would argue. You're not going to remember Jacob Rees Mogg. Some of it's yeah, bound to bear off. Some of it's going to wear off. No, no, He's no, got um, no, like a, I mean, just a because, weird right wing aura that well, must, if you get close to him, because, it must infect you or something. Just because you can debate with somebody in the chamber doesn't mean that you're infected no, by, their, by, their, by, their, by their political views. Yeah, but you just said you, he was a client of yours. Yeah, well, yes, oh, well that must have been in some sort of right wing capacity. Oh, goodness, well, you know, <laughs> city money capacity, right? In my days, capitalist. Some sort of capitalist enterprise. That's what it must be. Sometimes you can sit in the eye of a tiger, can't you? Yeah, see, there we go. Um, apparently George Kerrigan enjoyed that EU debate that went on and on and on instead of his intervention, his uh, speech. Yeah. Don't know what you think of that. <laughs> like, he must have been very late if he's enjoyed that. Well, there, must, there. there were some very, very good speeches, not not, not these Ken Clark speeches. Yes. Talking about the UK in its current position being in a, an Alice in Wonderland. Yes, it was uh, notable, certainly, that speech. Um, you mentioned the, the, the pension stuff, because obviously that's your yeah. your shtick. Uh, you've also been on about that this week, uh, as well as Donald Trump. But, um, you know, ah, Donald Trump. Um, he's not from your constituency, is he, Donald Trump? No. His, he's Angus uh, Brendan, isn't he? Yes, his, his, his mother was from... Um... From Tongue and Lewis, so I yeah, very much she was a she's, she was a Lewis act. As me, I'm very metropolitan, you see. So all the Highlands, it's all very basically the same. One of your colleagues it's described it's me as being uh, one of your colleagues accused me of being to, metropolitan. You're going to have to do a tour of the islands. I've been to a couple of islands. It's yeah. like the worst holiday I've ever went on because it wasn't sunny. Everyone oh, goes, oh, it'd be really nice if you get the weather. If you don't get the weather, there's not a lot to do in Tyree when it's misty. Oh, good grief! Is there? Well, it depends. I mean, I. Uh, what are you going to do in Tyree on a misty day? Many. I mean, I mean, the islands can still be beautiful even sometimes when they're. Yeah, that's my question. Well, what are you going to do in Tyree on a misty you day? Can, you can still enjoy the beauty and the serenity of the place. 
You can't see the beasts on Tiger either, and it's <laughs> misty. That was the thing, they just appear out of the mist. It was horrible. Um, yeah, all right. I am Metropolitan. Guilty as charged, as I told your colleague. Um, but let's, yes, pensions. Waspy. Mm, yeah. Because there was a story, and I meant to look it up just before we spoke. Uh, somewhere, where was it? Money marketing or something, wasn't it? Yes, Said, it was. Yeah. Uh, a MP, a Labour MP, uh, had written a letter to one of his chums, one of his constituents, saying, "Oh, I was very surprised to see the SNP not helping us to bring down the pensions bill, which is currently, well, currently before it's finished now in the Commons, is that right? No, no, it's it's just it's, it's come from the Lords. So it's actually yeah. just going through its, its parliamentary process. So they had second reading on Monday, and it goes into committee next weekend. Okay, so it's, did it start in the Lords, then, did it? It started. In the ah, Lords, okay, yeah. I see. Um, so yes, it's a pensions bill, but it's kind of it's not. Well, you explain. Your argument is you can't do anything waspy esque to this bill because it's got nothing to do with waspy. I, mean, I hope I hope everyone understands that our support for the waspyism is, is is something which is well known and is certainly not going to go away. We'll be working very much with the waspy women to try and make sure we can get justice for them. And I think myself and colleagues have raised the issue of WASPI 44 times in Parliament uh, over it, the yeah. course of the, the, the last couple of years. So it's massively important. It's absolutely shocking that women uh, were not given adequate notice of the increase in pensionable age. We always make the point that we agree with equalisation, but it's the way it's been done and it's forcing women into hardship. So there's a, a real case to be answered there. What so you the pensions do, bill? Amend well, it. Well, right. WASPI well, but you can't. That's the issue. Why not? Um, because, because this pensions bill is very, very narrowly focused. Um, it's, a, it's a pension schemes bill, and in this case, it's about master trusts, which is something that many people. Oh, well, not, let, me, let me explain very, 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 very. Can you? I mean, I, I, I kind of know what they seconds. are, but okay. Well, it, this is the what's happened is that we don't like to spend pretending that three thousand people are master trusts is no more than four million, and what's happened is this is people who lost people. Yeah, exactly. And, and there is not effective regulation yeah. of that market. Now, what we've seen over the course of the recent past is that two master trusts have, have, have effectively yeah. gone under. So there's risk to consumers of these things. And one thing that I want to do is to make sure that everybody uh, can have dignity in retirement. And we want to encourage people to auto-enroll. It's a very good thing to do. Yeah, what okay. you want to see is a, a good state pension and allied to that a workplace pension uh, where, where possible as well. We would not solve the problem of the waspy women by effectively kicking this, this, this bill into the long grass. There is not a possibility, given the way it's framed, to amend it to deal with the waspy case. There is just no way we can do that. The clerks have confirmed that to us. What was suggested by somebody last week is that we had a so-called reasoned amendment, which again oh, is yeah, a technical yeah. device. Um, my own view is that that probably would not have been taken either. Um, but the issue with that, if we if we had done such a thing, and we would need to have had a majority in the House to do that, it would have killed the bill. And I, I mean, I've spoken to an awful lot of waspy women over the course of the last few days, and they appreciate the point, for us to then kill this bill, which indeed many waspy women uh, would, would, would be affected by that have auto-enrolment schemes, mm. it's simply not the right thing to do. And frankly, to see Frank but Field... Frank Field, yeah, he's it, the man who thinks that well, it should be killed. He should know better. A man of his experience, playing games, because that's exactly what he was doing, is simply not acceptable. We should not be giving false promises to the waspy women and saying that we, we can fix their case by destroying this bill. That's not the way to do it. What we need to do is make sure that we hold this government to account. We need to turn up the heat on the government in order that they fix this problem. Now, we've, as you know, we've conducted research on this. We've talked about this before. We've we given have. The yeah. We've given it's the government a Controversial research, it's fair to say. Well, you know, again, this is where I would really take issue with the government. And I'd say to the government, by all means, have a look at our figures. Let's have an honest debate about this. Because what I've argued 
is that we can defer the increase in women's pension overlays by two and a half years. It's a two and a half years longer period than it would cost eight million in this parliament. Now I've also said that you defer the increase from pension of age uh, 66 to 67. You take that over a longer period, there'd be some additional costs for that. But the costs of eight billion over, over this parliament are figures that I would stick by. The government's figure of 30 billion is wrong, plain, plain and simple. The cost of doing this would be eight billion and it's affordable within the context of the surplus which is there in the National Insurance Fund, a surplus of more than 30 billion. So it's about the government doing the right thing. We'll continue to push them on that. But what we can't do is not do the right thing by those that are investing in auto enrolment. It would be completely the wrong thing to do under these circumstances. Isn't it? Basically, Frank Field is essentially saying, um, and he's chair of the Working Pensions Committee, so you would hope he knows what he's talking about. But you know, well, that doesn't necessarily follow. But, 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 but what but he's, my... he's basically saying, the WASPy case trumps the uh, auto enrolment the, the issue with master fund, master, yeah, master fund, sorry, master trust. He's, master play, he's, he's, he's playing games because you cannot, you cannot. He's just making a choice, though, isn't he? Well, yeah, but you've got a situation where two of these trusts have already gone under. Is he really wanting to expose people to financial risk? That's irresponsible. And frankly, a man of his experience should know better. It's disgraceful the way that he behaved in the chamber last week. But then and quite frankly, let me make this point too: is that we brought a votable motion to Parliament on the thirtieth of November. Yes. Field didn't vote for it. Oh, well, yeah. So we've given the House the opportunity to vote on a votable motion. But OK, I concede that that doesn't force the government into no, taking action. A... But nonetheless, it sends a very important signal. But what I would say to Frank Field and what I would say to the other 245 MPs, well, 245 in total that presented petitions to Parliament, mm. stand up for this issue. Don't hide beyond another bill. What you need to do is stand up and, and make sure that you're counted by pressing this government to take action. And the likes of Frank Field, the likes of Tim Loughton, who's always speaking about this as a, as a member oh, of, yeah. of, the, of the APPG, when the push comes to shove, when there was a votable motion, they didn't vote. It's mealy mouth words that we get from these two individuals and others, and they need to stand up and be counted at an appropriate time and not by voting down a bill that has benefits to consumers. It is not right the way that they behave. I mean, you know, as well as I do, that ultimately most people, most WASP women, most people will look at all this and go, oh, MPs, you know, amendments and, you know, APPGs and committees and blah, blah, votable motions and backbench, blah, 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 blah. Just get on with it. Um, it just, I, and they will I, look I, at I, it and say, I, oh, I, they're just, I, they're all playing games. No, they're all I mean, advancing I, each other. I can, I can stand up. We've done what I've done from colleagues have done from Anne Black uh, and the other colleagues. We will always push for the government to take action on this issue. Um, I think our record speaks for itself in raising the issue. We will support any measure to make sure that justice can be delivered for the Waspy women, but it has to be done on the basis of a proposal that supports that campaign. And you don't hijack other measures which act in the best interests of investors and pension schemes. It's not the way to do it. Mary Black's on the uh, Working Pensions Committee. She is indeed. She's going to like kick Frank Field's ass next time she sees him or something. Well, I, I thought they were quite, they got on all right. Not, is that going to, is that, is that relationship going to be soured? I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, I've got respect for Frank for some things that he's done in the past, but actually his behaviour over, over the recent while has been strange to say the least, whether it's been over this issue no. or whether it's been his, his lack of support for the triple lock, um, which is certainly not welcome either by calling into question the triple lock for pensioners is it's quite something that's just frankly disgraceful as well. He's uh, where is he? 
uh, idiosyncratic. Yes. That'd be a fair way to describe Frank Field. Yeah. Um, well, the, uh, I don't know, on that bombshell, as I keep saying it in this podcast, that Frank Field is idiosyncratic. It's not really a bombshell, is it? Um, we will uh, uh, tie it up there because uh, you've got to go do more work. Indeed. Uh, we've got a white paper. Well, white paper. Do you remember the white, remember the white papers? Oh, I'll bring back some memories, won't it? Yeah, last big white paper with Scotland's future, right? You don't need to remind me. I remember it well. I've still got my copy somewhere. But that's what we should be having from this government. Maybe that's what we're going to get. Wait, see, it might be like have lots of nice little pictures in it and a you know, pictures of Theresa. Forward by, well, oh, come on, not like there weren't pictures of Alex Salmond in the Scotland's future. Um, well, they've got that to look forward to. Um, I need to do a Brexit jingle, don't I? Oh, which reminds me, I haven't done this week, I haven't done, um, uh, I love your questions. Let's quickly finish off with that. Uh, I'll quickly, oh, this is smooth. I nearly forgot my new feature, uh, which sounds like this. very on trend that's jazzy like in la la land see Indeed. So you want to... who is the who is that mp saying i love your questions i don't know who that is ah it rolls over for another week I don't know nobody's gonna get it it should do it's not that hard um last week's question set by oliver eilock of the institute for government was what are the chances of a brexit deal within the two-year window zero that's the good good quick answer okay not uh, possible Fine, and your question for next week's guests would next be guests. anything, can cover anything. No, but I need to write it down. Sorry, when, when will the Westminster government begin to respect the interests of the people of Scotland? <laughs> well, well, I might try and choose a guest on that basis, see if I can get Theresa May on just Indeed. to answer that one. Indeed. Uh, okay. Or David Mundell. Uh, well, yeah, I'm not sure. Well, yeah, if he wants to come on, uh, let's leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, um, okay, I will say um, my thanks to Ian Blackford for coming on the podcast again. Uh, if you want to get in touch, I am at Political Yeti on Twitter or politicalyeti at gmail.com on uh, the email. If you want to uh, offer me money to sponsor this podcast, I'd be very pleased to hear from you. Uh, and in the meantime, tune in next week for another of Political Yeti's Politics Podcast. Thank you.